coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman. Really excited to be bringing you somebody from Michigan today. His name is Nate Harris. He's a local furniture creator and business owner. Nate, glad to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Sean. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, can you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so uh, my name is Nate, uh, and I'm a furniture maker. I'm 23 years old, and I just graduated college, but I started my business while I was in school, um, in business school. And I just saw a gap in the market where, in the furniture market specifically, where people are replacing their furniture really every five to ten years. And I thought of a really a, a way that we can pair customer service and, and customer experience along with really high-quality materials and craftsmanship in order to make furniture that's going to last just their whole lifetime and really give people a piece, uh, a legacy piece to pass down. And so uh, that's really what started it all. That's a really cool idea. What led you to furniture? So I've always loved building. Growing up, we would buy foreclosed ho- homes and uh, work on them. And so from a young age, I learned how to swing a hammer and do some basic stuff. And then I've always just had a, a really desire to be creating things. And so I would tinker around in my dad's workshop and, and learn that way just by trying and trying different things. Yeah, you know what's really impressive is that you're 23 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah, and just graduated college, but you took it upon yourself to actually start your own business. And there's a lot of people who have fear of doing that or just can never bring themselves to do it. So what led you to decide after getting a college degree that instead of going into the corporate world, you'd rather start your own mm-hmm. you know, business and run your own deal? Yeah, uh, and that's a great question. I think that the the biggest thing for me, and I think for everybody, their driving factor is probably a little bit different, but that is the driving factor is the one thing that's going to always hold you through all of the difficult things that it is to be an entrepreneur. Uh, but for me, I had actually my freshman and sophomore year in college, I had an opportunity to have an internship in a corporate setting. And I really got to see what that nine to five was like. And I quickly learned that it wasn't for me. It wasn't for the way that I wanted to kind of live my life with just having just this, this love for building. I mean, I felt like I just wasn't able to do that. And I also loved business and entrepreneurship. And so this just seemed like a really natural thing. But I think the biggest thing that made it happen, that talk, took it from like an idea to something that was actually happening, was just this feel of, I really just, it was like a fire was lit under me. Like it was like, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. It was like the only thing I could think to do. And so it just seemed like, at all costs, I was going to make that happen. Yeah, I think that's ultimately what it takes is when you have something that you're passionate about, that you, you dive into it and you say, you know what, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. I see that I can make a difference wherever it may be, and that's really what brings you along. So I love to hear that. <laughs> How long have you been running your own business now? Yeah, so it's been uh, a little over three years. Actually, coming, okay. up on, coming up on four years now. Coming up on four years, and you're you're 23 years old. So, what's it like starting a business, and you know, at your age, running it successfully? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that. I mean, what's it like? It's it's definitely scary, just like I think starting any business would be. 
Uh, but I actually think there's a lot of advantages I have for being younger than, say, somebody with, you know, a family and dependents. I have a lot of flexibility with my time and I have a lot of flexibility with my income, being that I really am providing for myself right now. And I'm going to be getting married soon, so there's going to be some shifts. But especially while I was in college, I was living on campus. I was using the school's wood shop to be able to start my business. And so my overhead costs were really low. I didn't have, like I had a meal plan on campus. I was living there. I didn't have to come up with really any income. And so that really took a lot of the pressure off of kind of making it per se and put it right onto just like figuring out why I really want to do it and what I really love about it. And then that set me up to be able to be in a way, make it, I guess. That's really cool that you didn't have a lot of the pressures that, you know, a lot of other people have when they start a business. You know, when I was starting my business a few years ago, <laughs> there's a lot of different pressures because I was getting married, had a kid and, you know, a house and I had already had the corporate job. So, you, you get yours to a certain lifestyle, and it's like, how do you transition from that to being an independent business owner? So in your situation, you had a, you know, a unique opportunity, which is cool. But I know that you also struggled during it because every business owner struggles when they're getting started. So what mm -hmm. kind of struggles did you experience? I, well, I would preface this by saying I think I probably and, and still – at least from what the emotion of it feels like, is I would say that I've probably struggled more than I have really had massive success. And that just seems like, and sometimes some days, some weeks or months, it seems like it's like constantly one step forward and two steps back. And the struggles might look like pivoting the business, trying to change the business name or rebuild a website. I've rebuilt my website four times now. And so that's always been like a, a pain point to try to restructure or build. And so there's just constant constant struggles or constant failure. But I think the thing that has set apart is the mindset towards the failure, seeing the failure as something that is pruning and building rather than something that is saying I'm not going to be able to make it. I wouldn't have been able to be in the situation I am now without having, I would say, the, the amount of failure that I have had. Those have all taught me very, very crucial lessons that I wouldn't be able to do without. One that I can specifically think of, this is my very first dining table. And I, I was approached by somebody, again, it was a, a friend of my parents who, uh, and that's kind of how I got my start, but they said, you know, we've got a $750 budget and we're really excited to build your table. And I was so stoked because I, I just thought that that was like the absolute most you could ever get for, for a table because I was like a college kid and that was a ton of money. And so I went through and there was a few failures in that, but I learned a ton. And one of them was that I, I was learning how to finish and build the table and actually put the finish on and I put an oil on the wood and then I put a polyurethane on the wood and basically all you need to know is those two things don't mix and so the whole tabletop coating peeled off like snakeskin and so that was a technical fail that that I had to strip the paint uh, or strip the finish off and restart there and, and so that was just one of them and then the other failure was on the business end I really didn't even I was so excited just to be building for somebody that I didn't even consider how much the thing was going to cost. And so I ended up spending $850 just to build the table, which didn't make me any money at all. <laughs> so things right. like that have just kind of echoed throughout all of it. But there's so many takeaways from it. And failure is so valuable. Yeah, I love that because that's the mindset that it takes to be successful at anything is you, you have to fail and fail and fail and fail. And then that failure brings you to the place where you can finally do things 
the way that it needs to be done. So it's really cool mm-hmm. to hear that you have that mindset because it, it takes a lot of people a lot of years to get there. But the overriding factor is that anything that's worth it, it is going to be hard. Uh, mm. And that's an old saying, but it, it's the truth. And I, you know, I love that you have that mindset. And there's a lot of people that can learn a lot from you. And, and I hope that the people, for the people that are listening, that y- you do learn from that. So the flip side of that failure is that it does lead to success. So what's one of your most successful moments that you've had so far? Yeah. So something that has just been a big success for me has been able to pivot my business from college. Uh, where it was a very low-income business, and I, I mean, I really didn't need it. I didn't have much to to really have to provide for at the time, and then so graciously have been able to pivot from that state of business into a place where I'm doing it full time. And that's a very general success, but that's really when I started. That was one of my biggest goals was to be able to do the thing I loved at, at, at a point really where I could do it forever. And so it's, it has felt like a very big success to now have a workshop and actually it's located on Zingerman's Corn and Farms here in Dexter. And it has just been, I mean, that's another success has been able to work with them. And I provided furniture for them and, and now I lease a, a, a workshop there, lease a barn where that's my shop at. Um, and so that's just been another major success for me through all, all of that business process. So let's flip gears just a little bit here. So, if somebody's going out and shopping, you said there's this hole in the market in the furniture market where people are only getting furniture that lasts five to ten years. So mm-hmm. what is the difference between that type of furniture that people are purchasing and, say, something that you or somebody like you is creating? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess the first thing to address is that uh, I'm not the only one like this. I didn't come up with, with building furniture out of real wood. That's been obviously being done way, way before me, and that's actually what the whole thing, like how furniture all started. But what's happened is we've seen a shift away from that to a furniture that's more widely produced or mass manufactured. And it's just made of very different materials. The style and the look might be nearly identical, but when you have a, say a table that's made from recycled materials like recycled cardboard or or wood chips, and that's all pressed into a tabletop with with a plastic veneer over it, that table is made up of very different materials than a table that I'll take of sound hardwood that is, say, an inch and a quarter thick, and I'm going to glue all of these boards together and make a tabletop out of that. And so furniture makers like me or or other people out there who use real wood materials to build their furniture, the difference is just the longevity of it and the maintenance that you're able to do. If you need to work down the surface of a, a particle board tabletop, that has, say, a stain or a big, big scratch in it, you just can't do that. So it's just, the maintenance option is not there. And then these types of tables that have, are made of particle board or press wood do not get wet well. So when they do get wet, those tend to kind of get soggy and kind of fall apart. And so when that happens, the table is pretty much ruined. And that sends you back to the drawing board of, of rebuying your furniture. But as it really turns out, the cost of a custom piece of furniture is typically only double, maybe a little bit more. And I know it sounds like a big jump, but it's going to last five, 10 times longer uh, or even more. I mean, your, your kids are going to get this type of thing. And so the, the financial investment is a, a very big difference when you're comparing the two. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I, I think there's been this major shift in America in the last 10 to 20 years as the millennials get older and the next generation under the millennials comes along where 
we grew up with this time of everything has to come from Walmart, Meyer. You know, you want to get things as cheap as you can possibly get them, and that there's kind of been that mindset. And I know that my parents are a little bit like that, and I know that a lot of my friends' parents were that way. And I, I think it's shifting back to where people are sick of just the here, this same thing that was produced in this factory is for you and just get it at the bottom floor price and then it falls apart. I know mm -hmm. that I personally would rather buy something for a little bit more money, nothing crazy, right, but a little bit more money that's actually going to be a nice and high quality and it's going to last longer. And like you said, that ends up being a much better investment because then I'm not replacing my stuff all the time. So I mm -hmm. absolutely love what it is that you're doing. Yeah, so can you just talk a little bit more about what does your custom furniture look like? How is that a little bit different than what's available widely on the market? Yeah, so um, one thing I will say about my customer furniture process, I guess, is it's designed to be very focused on the customer, uh, and I would call it focused on my customer experience. And so I do one-at-a-time builds, and that's where rather than building multiple projects at the same time that all look the same, I'm going to hear you through our first step of design consultation, and then we're going to work in our design process for a while. Then there's going to be 3D models where you're actually going to see your piece of furniture digitally in a 3D version, where you can make adjustments and proofs and change it, and then until we have a finalized version. And then from there, we source the materials and build the table. And so the process is just very focused on the customer, and it starts with what the customer wants and needs out of the piece, and it just kind of, we really just try to focus on all the things that, all, all the the reason they're really even trying to get this piece of furniture in general. I think sometimes when you buy something that's mass produced is it might hit a few of the things you really want, but it might not be the right height or it might not be the right color. We address all of those things to make it specifically tailored for the person it is. And then you know your neighbor is never going to have anything close to it because it was made just so specifically for you with you in mind during the whole like six-week design process. I love that because it's tailored to the person because, you know, all the plans that are out there, whether it's financial planning or it's your furniture or whatever it may be, they're a lot of times just general. So I love that you're taking what is a general experience of, hey, you need a table to, mm -hmm. hey, we're not just going to give you a table. Let's find out what it is that this table is going to be used for. What's the room look like? And let's build it to be exactly what you want and make it last forever or you yeah. know, 20, 30 years. Right. So, Nate, what am I missing here as far as questions about your industry? Because I really don't know that much about furniture outside yeah. of, you know, how to sit at my, sit at a desk or a table and eat my burger. <laughs> no, I saw it. There's lots of nuances about it. Like, I mean, if we're getting super specific, like even down to the type of finish you put on your piece of furniture is pretty important. And that has to be traced back to what you're using the piece of furniture for. For example, if you're doing something like a dining table that's going to be a very high-traffic area, high-traffic piece of furniture, you're probably going to want to finish it with a type of oil, and I have my favorites. And that is because oils can be easily reapplied by the homeowner or by myself if I were to come back out. And that means scratches can be easily repaired. So if you get a scratch in your table, you can buff that scratch out and reapply the oil versus if you did a polyurethane, which is more of like a plastic coating. It's very, very durable but it does scratch. And so when it does scratch, you have to take it all the way back to the shop, remove all of the finish, and then restart. And so 
just nuances like that matter when you're when you're buying your furniture. And so I actually have a a document on my website. It's totally free. All you have to do is sign up for the blog and you and you get access to it. And there's going to be many more blog posts that go out there. And it's the six biggest mistakes to avoid when buying real wood furniture. And so it addresses all of these things like what types of wood to use, when not to use this type of wood, how the end grain should look like when it's lined up and like oil finishes and how the top should be attached to the base. All of those things are important things. And I've seen a lot of furniture out there that might get really close on some of them. But if you attach the table wrong to the base, that table will begin to warp in about 20 or 30 years, even if it's built really well. The way to make your table last 100 years is to have all of these little nuances really specified. And so there's a lot to it, but there's a great resource on my website. It's called nateharrisdesigns.com. And uh, I give that away free uh, along with other blogs that I'm going to start producing as well uh, that kind of start to address that. I think, I guess to answer your question, the biggest thing I could say to consumers who might not know a lot about it is that's exactly, I mean, it's understandable. There's, There's a lot to do, but my hope is to try to educate people and then empower them in this in this industry so they can make really sound investments and decisions around their furniture that they're just never going to regret and it's really easy to buy something that's already built and ready when there's a when there's a gap of knowledge around the industry and so my hope by the blog is to kind of empower consumers to really know what they're getting into when they buy something um, made of particle board versus something made of real wood that's great. And we're going to include in the show notes links to Nate's website so that if you are interested in learning more, getting a hold of his free material, you'll be able to do that right in the show notes. So, Nate, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So on my website, if you hit book a consultation, you'd be able to, one, you'd be able to see what the custom design process for you would look like. But two is you'd be able to uh, just fill out a quick form with your name and kind of your project and some visions. And from there, we set up a call where we just go through the details of your project, what it might look like. And then after that, we're able to get enough information to kind of generalize a quote for you as far as what your project might cost. And then from there, we receive a deposit. And that's what moves us forward into the details of the design phase and then to the build phase. Great. Are there any questions that I should have asked that I didn't think to ask? That, you know, I I can't think of one at the moment. I guess the biggest thing is that there's always just going to be some level of uncertainty around carpentry for somebody who isn't right in the industry. And so my hope would be before somebody is to just buy something that's going to be easier, that they would just seek out resources and seek out something or a, a professional who's going to be able to advise them better in their financial decision if it is in furniture. Great. I absolutely love it, Nate. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today. So if you guys are looking to learn more about Nate, feel free to click in the show notes. And Nate, once again, thank you very much for being on the show. This has been a recording of the Safe and Sound podcast with your host, Sean Sparkman. Tune in next week. We're going to bring somebody new to you every single week from around the country. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.